If someone is asking you, how do I become a Christian? You need to make sure that the emphasis is entirely on the person of the risen Christ. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, I of the Hurricane Van Vickle. How you doing, You Dave? stole that from, from an email. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. Not even this email, but another email. You're right. Yeah. They, we've gotten some good ones. We've gotten some good ones, for sure. Oh, oh man. We have, we have some ones that we actually were talking about just a minute ago, saying... I don't feel like we have expertise to answer these. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to try to figure that out for y'all. We're going to try to figure that yeah, out for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a few that I was like, no, I think we should hold off until we get somebody on who can talk yeah, some but, more. But they're great questions, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like how to, how to evangelize those who maybe have mental illness right. or other issues. Like right. it's stuff that they don't really teach you in the various manuals <laughs> and approaches and, you know, of, of Christian evangelization. Speaking right? of those various manuals, send them. Yes. If you know of any, send them to us <laughs> because I would love <laughs> to read them. Have you, have, who was it? Was it Catholic Answers came out with the book Marching Orders on the evangelization? I have that on my shelf. Somewhat, so when when <laughs> this is kind of a morbid thing, when deacons die <laughs> in my area, so for weird. some reason they give me their libraries. That's cool, right? And by their libraries, I mean like a bookshelf or two of books. Yeah. So I don't know how this happened. Just one day, a deacon died about forty-five minutes from our. Parents. I have no idea who this guy is, and someone's like, "Hey." We're, is Mike Gormley here? We want to leave him all this. Book. That is <laughs> this happened now funny. three times. Wow. It is. It is. So I go through them all. I pick out the ones I want. And then I tell the rest of the parish staff, hey, free books. And then anything left over, we hang it out for the parish. Uh, and then anything left over from that, we give it to like Goodwill. Or that something. seems like a great but recipe for a ghost <laughs> situation. You just is this how Poltergeist You just happen? give them away. <laughs> What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Know. Do you? Oh man, you you probably have the craziest like oh this deacon died and I got a book on uh, you know from his library and then all of a sudden I had a ghost in my house for a month. <laughs> no, I don't have anything like that. I mean, my life is crazy sometimes, but not like <laughs> not not very often like that. So, Dave, what's going on in your life? What's going? What, you doing anything fancy? No, um, you know, I'm I am going to do some outdoor talks in October. I'm pretty excited about you know? um here locally, and uh, so I you know it'd be good to get back with like well just get back working again you know and yep. uh and seeing people and everything like that that'll be that'll be good but um you know i'm just i'm really trying to keep my head down i i am i've committed that this week i know i keep saying this but this week i am going to choose a job i will choose Don't. a position i'm going to Don't. i have to be free no, I have be to free this isn't the dead <laughs> poet society um, you can't just like tell <laughs> me there, that there's no rules for life or anything. <laughs> yeah. Rip out the first page of your books. Uh, I love that movie. Um, Why? Why do you what? love that movie? What? Are you kidding who, me? Who, who do you love in that movie? Let's be. I love Robin Williams. How, Why wouldn't I love how Robin? How dare Williams? you love him? He is like the epitome of of you know the crazy liberal professor who says there are no rules no no anything like that it's all from inside of you it's all experiential and then the kid ends up committing suicide so shame on you shame on no, you no 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 you take that back he was funny 
He had me, quote, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Okay, fair enough. No, I just love that movie. It just speaks to my heart because I'm a, I'm a moody, uh, overly emotional uh, high school student trapped inside the body of a very handsome 38-year-old. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. This is this is getting out of hand. This is getting out of well. Hey, I, so I got some talking stuff coming up. I'm shocked and uh, but not dismayed. Um, in September, I went just last week. I went to Austin and did uh, what is it? The Fullness of Truth Conference, Saint Joseph and His Angels. How? Wait, how did they do that? I didn't. Oh, they did at a local parish. You had to social distance and all that stuff, wow. but they still held it. Wow. Yeah, we're in Texas, man. We're not in your repressive liberal <laughs> states run by the Robin Williams of the world. <laughs> oh, that's we're, we're I'm licking every doorknob. I'm coughing yeah. on every elderly person. It's beautiful. Christ is here. But uh, no, I did one and they asked me. It was really funny. They said, what are your talk? And I'm like, I don't know what to talk about with this topic. Yeah. So I said, oh, you know, I'll talk about St. Joseph and his role in salvation history and, you know, the, like the whole house of David. So he said, give me a talk title. So I sent him two talk titles, St. Joseph and the House of David or St. Joseph and Salvation History. And I said, I'm kind of going back and forth. And they said, well, we love both titles. And I was like, awesome. Well, uh, I'll just say and Salvation History. They said, great. Well, then I get the schedule and the first speaker is the House of David. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm going (laughs) to like, what are we doing? So I kept asking him, I was like, what is he going to talk about? You know, because this is a Catholic priest, Father Ken. He does this stuff right. like it's his job because it is and his vocation. And so I got nervous. And then so they reach out and they're like, he's not doing like a big sweep of salvation history. He's just focusing like on like that specific time frame. And I'm like, OK, so I spent 90 percent of the time walking through salvation history. And then and I literally spent about seven minutes on St. Joseph himself. So, huh. Whoopsie. Well, that's yeah. cool. But I got I got I'm speaking at Texas A&M St. Mary's campus. I'm doing a thing in October there. Oh man, I've always wanted to speak there. That I I oh, want to so I want to go there. Yeah, well they're cheap. You hear me, Kevin? They're cheap. No, I'm What is that? No, mean? they're great. They're He's the guy that always books me. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm like, "Can I have more money, please?" <laughs> no, okay. But no, it's been it's been fascinating seeing how things are rolling out. I'm going up to rural Oh, uh, I think I'm going up to Nebraska to do what they call rural lead. It's their rural parishes. And I'm doing some stuff for them because, you know, once you get this is what a lot of people don't understand. So much of what we call ministry and what we do as full time employees or whatever can only happen in a uh, suburban middle class to upper middle class parish. Right, Right. Right. Because once you step out of that, whether you're talking urban or small parish or lower income neighborhood or rural. You can't afford full-time lay people, let alone people with master's degrees and all that stuff. So the, the, there is a view that can get quite myopic in our world. But that's where I think the real role of dioceses, especially in training, can come in. Because my parish can afford to fly speakers in and do training weekends right. and stuff like that. Right. But you have – I remember I was talking with a guy up in, uh, up in uh, the old Halifax, and he said, uh, what you get paid – to give your weekend is what some parishes will make in a month from donations from their family. Wow. He's like, so they can never, yeah. He's like, you know, they, they live on two to three to four grand a month. And you're like, Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That, well, so, well, it's interesting because I mean, America is, I, there aren't a lot of places that have like DREs and stuff like that. Like a lot of other countries. Oh yeah. in other countries. You know, yeah. Like it's, that, that's kind of like unheard of. 
Actually, I know I, we got an we got an email early on from yeah. a listener in the UK. Do you remember yeah. that that priest? Yeah. And he's like, "It's just me." Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. that's it. I mean, it's but that's a both an opportunity and a threat. You know. Mm-hmm. So indeed, indeed. Okay, we actually have a question from my homeboy James. Uh, we're gonna go through this today. I think it's a really good question that can kind of drive and steer the conversation. Unlike the last two times me and you sat down together, where the, the person up. behind the steering wheel was a monkey, <laughs> <laughs> a monkey just turning this way and that. All right, here we go. James, question. Uh, I have a question that I wish I had answered to years ago. I was raised as a free Methodist slash evangelical non-denominational charismatic hybrid. Awesome. That's a lot of, yeah, yeah, that's epic, but was drawn into the Catholic Church. Of course, why not? It's the only thing not on that list. (laughs) (laughs) The evangelism training I had received as a Protestant was to live a holy life and be ready to lead people through the sinner's prayer when they asked you why you were so different. While I did strive to live a holy life, nobody came to ask me, <laughs> came to me asking for what I had. When I became a, a Catholic, I came to understand the necessity of the sacraments for salvation. Then one day, out of the blue, a non-religious coworker came to me and asked why I was so different and what he needed to do to become a Christian. He was sincere and vulnerable. I realized with a shock that I actually had him on the hook, but I knew the sinner's prayer wasn't sufficient sufficient so i mumbled something incoherent about needing to get him baptized and sadly that's as far as it went uh in retrospect i see how i failed to respond in a meaningful way to awakening the longing of his heart for the father's love i didn't know what else to do on a practical level and ultimately i lost him he ended up joining a local protestant mega church uh, and probably as a Freemason, and invited me to his baptism there where the pastor used the words, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ and the glory of the Father and the Holy Spirit, which I'm pretty sure is invalid. I'm still torn up about this to this day. Actually, Dave, side note, we have to rebaptize a guy. Uh, we'll baptize him licitly because he was baptized at his non-denom with we baptize you. So oh, whoopsie. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. Your podcast convicted me of the need to be more pa- more than passively evangelistic. I love that. That's awesome. Good. I'm putting more focus on building relationships within my various communities, praying for the Lord, yada, yada, yada. The next time I have a fish on the line, what are some practical things I can do to reel him in? The sinner's prayer might be appropriate, but what about gentle steps and guidance and the next things? What do we do practically? Dave, <laughs> teach us, oh Oh, wise. One. Yeah, well, I think you're. Le- I think he's leaning already in the right direction. I think some form Absolutely. of the sinner's prayer is is appropriate. If if you know they're at that point, I think what you want to do is put yourself, take yourself out of the situation, and and expect that God wants to encounter this this man or this person, right? Um, and it it that's a nerve wracking place to be in, right? I can't tell you how many times both Gomer and I have spoken at this event in Boston numerous times called Lift. And it's funny how how nerve-wracking it can be like when you ask people to make a decision like to follow Jesus and it's almost kind of like you're almost like saying like okay lord now it's your turn you got to show up for these people. And and it's like it's like you're kind of just watching and then at the end of the night you're like he always shows up, right? He always is faithful. He's always waiting. And so I think that that is it's a tenuous situation to be in but to to recognize that God wants to encounter that person and to go ahead and say, "Yeah, I think it's time for me to step out to le- let this person encounter Christ on their own through prayer." It doesn't necessarily have to be like the classic sinner's prayer that you uh you know that you mentioned. You could pray with them, you could lead them in prayer, you could ask them to pray. 
Um, but some prayer of opening their heart to God, I think, is appropriate at this point. Would what what would you I mean, do you do you use the sinner's prayer a lot in your ministry? Uh, I don't use the sinner's prayer a lot in my ministry. Actually, when this email from James first came in, my first impulse, because you know, the sinner's prayer is so much tied right. to I know. I know. salvation, once saved, always saved, but it's still good. Right. Right. It still has an authentically Christian impulse in it, even if it were we're not tied to all these other things. But the you know what, Dave, my first impulse or my first thought was when I read this was you at the was it the world meeting of families in Philly or whenever the Pope came to Philly and you were just walking through yeah, yeah. and uh praying with people. Yeah. And I was thinking of that guy with the spiky yeah. hair and you led him that through us, yeah. like yeah. And have you kept in contact with the guy? I've kept guys? in contact with that one. There were a few others that yeah. I wish I could. If, if you're listening, call, email me because I want to I want to talk to you about some things. <laughs> um, but so when we when we talk about like the kerygma, balancing the kerygma with catechesis and all this stuff, you're on the kerygma stage at this point. Right. Yeah. And so what we're doing, what you want to do is you, if, if someone is asking you, how do I become a Christian? Right. You need to make sure that the emphasis is entirely on the person of the risen Christ. So you can say things like it's it's you the sinner's prayer leads you to believe that you become a Christian by just saying this one prayer, once saved, always right. saved, right. boom, yeah. done. And that's not true. We know that faith leads to baptism, right? So as Catholics, we want to make sure that they have faith. So praying a prayer like that is an excellent go to right it's like okay well i would love to talk to you about this but in order to like if you really want to pursue this let's start by focusing on jesus and let's just call down the holy spirit to lead you into faith in christ and then set up time to i would say you want to talk to him about who christ is what christ accomplished who god is and how god invites you into that relationship and that relationship necessarily involves church sacraments and the whole deal um, I but I think the the first impulse, like you said, is absolutely right. You want to pray with them because you want to get God on your side, but then you need to start imparting the truth content of the actual charisma. Like who this is who Jesus is, and this is what he accomplished. Yeah, I think, and there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think um, asking them to go pray, like I, I've done that before, where I can just tell that like they're almost ready, but like they're in public and they're not ready. So I'll say. Here's what I want you to do. When you go home, I want you to pray this prayer. You know, um, I, I've also like when I worked uh, at my old parish, uh, we had you know adoration next door. It was very common for me to just say, "Well, don't tell me." You know, go go over and tell Jesus. Like go over and and talk to the Lord, right? And and that was a great great you know opportunity for them to have that encounter. Um, and I also oftentimes will say like. You might not necessarily have them on the hook at that moment, but you know this is your last chance of speaking to them. I will teach them what to pray, you know, and to pray that almost every day. So I, I'm sure I've told the story before, but like one of the bouncers I worked with, who was like one of the one of the top bodybuilders in the world, right? Uh, <laughs> he he like hated me. He was like the only person that ever had right. problems with me, like evangelizing, right? And I remember teaching it like afterwards, like after leaving that bar, right? He asked me like why I was so different and and he was serious and I remember teaching him like the prayer and I just said look look just just this like just pray every day lord if you are real reveal yourself to me if you love me show me and literally he prayed it for 3 months you know 
And then like God broke his heart, you know, totally, completely broke his heart. His world kind of fell apart. And it was the first time he ever prayed it like seriously. And he had that encounter. So I, I do think uh, some form of that prayer, but I think it is important to understand that um, what you would emphasize is that this is the beginning of a long relationship and not, hey, welcome into heaven, right? Uh, in that case, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, that's a... It it just it, it 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 like you said when you Google the sinner's prayer, people are gonna say I I, I didn't I didn't even think about that that aspect is that people are gonna say well that's when I got saved right when I prayed this right. prayer I got saved so yeah and that is when amazing grace is operating in your life like you are stepping out in faith and faith is a theological virtue that is given to you directly by God right but faith leads adults who have who come to faith lead into that faith through the sacraments of faith aka baptism but here's another thing that i think is awesome so if you are on the line if you got the fish on the line quote unquote and you're right there in that moment there really is nothing more uh for some people more embarrassing more awkward than turning to prayer and i mean this as the evangelist like a lot of evangelists are like what do you mean just pray with them right there this but this is what I'm saying. This is I where the Catholic charismatic renewal shines like a star in the heaven because that's what you're right. that's like the whole movement is based on that in so many ways. This extemporaneous praying and prayer and all this stuff, it becomes com it makes you comfortable with praying out loud publicly in front of others, with others, over others, all of that stuff. And so one of the problems that I see with Catholics who haven't been exposed to that spirituality is that they are very private when it comes to their prayer. Obviously, you should have a personal, private, devotional prayer life, intimacy with the Lord, all that good stuff. But there comes a point where you are the intercessor. You are one who stands in the gap. And as an intercessor, you intercessor doesn't just mean getting my list, sitting in front of my favorite uh, <laughs> crucifix or something, and praying for someone from a distance. It can also mean I'm right here with you now, interceding for you. And I know in my personal life, when I have pulled what Dave did with that spiky haired man, when I do those things, that is where you can have as an individual evangelist, the greatest expectational faith, because you're essentially like Dave said, handing them off to the Lord. So what I do when I pray very practically here, I pray for an increase in this person in the gifts of faith, open love that it leads them to ever greater intimacy with the Lord and the church that he started, right? Those are my things. Like I have prayed probably over maybe two or 3,000 people with that approach, right? So if I'm at a conference and there's a part where you pray over people, I am constantly praying for an increase in faith, hope, and love, right? Yeah, I, and I, I think like what Gomer said is what you got to do if you're, if you're an evangelist and you're nervous about it yeah. is – you need to just literally write down what you would say in prayer and then and then memorize it because and then you'll get more and more comfortable because it is it can be awkward. I remember one time. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, my friend, Father Joe Freedy, who you, you must have encountered at some point. Right. So we were we, we were doing a life in the spirit seminar here in Pittsburgh and there was like literally like 600 people there getting prayed over and. It was like 11 o'clock at night and we were still praying over people. It was so late. And I, I'm not kidding. It was he and I and and he was praying and he was like, 
like through the intercession of Jehoshaphat. Like, I mean, he was saying the craziest things and I just looked over and I started laughing. Like, you know, it's like, it was so, it was so awful. I felt bad for the person who was getting prayed over because it was just like, (laughs) it can get strange. So just have kind of like a go-to formula, you know, that you use to pray and then be open to the Holy spirit to lead you. Right. Um, but I, I do think it, it can be the, Mm. like, just the tiniest little step out of the boat that the person needs to accept, yeah. right? That yeah. God wants to work radically in their life. Cause it is weird to let someone pray with you. So, you know, yeah, the, 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 on the line, the fish on the line. I love that idea in the sense of, you know, you kind of hate it. Cause it's like, Oh, this person's a project, but you also like it because there are moments where people are ready to make you just a decision. Know. Yep. Right. And David said this before, in fact, in reference with Father Father Joe, where it's like, come on, you led them right up to it. Now make a decision. Yeah. Helping them make a decision, whether it's in prayer, like, you know, just pray these words after me, Lord Jesus. Uh, I want to receive your grace, your life. I want to be renewed in you. Give me your Holy Spirit so that I can, you know, follow you. Whatever you're doing, you're asking them to to get out of the boat. Right. And to drop their nets and to follow Christ. Right. And so the the decisive nature can really help people. And th- and that's why so many people have testimonies of my before my conversion, after my conversion, because there was a decision point. There was a watershed moment where things where their paths then diverged. Right. Where two different opportunities were given and they went this way rather than that way. And it's very powerful for people to have those moments and it's powerful for someone that is trusted like why w- what is different about you well Christ is my lord my savior and uh you know I receive him every sunday through the blessed sacrament of the altar that should be a pretty epic answer right and then you can go through and explain these things but on the tendency is to always make it about what can I do what can I do what is my contribution to this person's conversion what are steps a b and c Always turning to prayer because God desires their conversion. Being ready to share your testimony and the gospel, right? Absolutely. But in terms of their own internal subjective experience, that de- the decisive nature of making a decision is powerful. Yeah. You know, um, I have actually r- recently, because of I've been convicted at how powerful that moment can be, I've been adding basically altar call prayers to almost every event I do now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I literally, I'll talk about like something crazy, like the the occult and paranormal activity or something like that, and then at the end during prayer, I'll say, you know, it's my experience that most Catholics have never had a, an actual willful, intentional moment where they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and I would invite you all to do that as we close in prayer here, and I lead them through basically the sinner's prayer, right? Um, and I've had great fruit from that um, because there there have been a lot of people who say, you know, I, I consider myself a faithful Catholic, but I I really truly was affected by that tonight and and changed my it changed my life, you know. Uh, so I I added in all the time. Now that can be tenuous too. So you want to make sure, like you said, as 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 you mentioned in your email, are they on the line, right? Uh, because pushing the sinner's prayer too fast or pushing that encounter too fast can also be an issue, right? Uh, uh, you don't want to just immediately hand it off like that. Um, and you don't also, you also want to meet people where they're at. That's, that's kind of the hard part about retreats is that you expect the entire group to get to a certain point, right? Where that you're, that you're working to, and it doesn't always work that way. So, uh, this is again, pointing back to 
uh, Ananias training, right? Know where your person, the person is at, right? And meet them where they're at and try to bring them through the thresholds um, to really uh, to, to facilitate that encounter. Yeah. And the person who is coming to you saying in this particular email, how do I become a Christian? Um, we have said this so many times, but if you start with, this is how you know these are principles or axioms of evangelization and not just like a gimmicky thing. You have to ask them questions. Like, what yeah, do you think it means? Right. Like, what do you think it means to be a Christian? What do you right. think? What does faith look like? What is a life of faithfulness? Why do you, what drew you? Why do you say I'm so different? What about me is different? You know, and, um, I, you know, you're doing so many things right. Well, if you're telling me the truth that you actually are trying to live a holy life, James, and you're not lying about it, why, James. Why, are you, why, why did you even say that? That is James know what he did. He knows what he did. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, because I work in professional Catholic ministry where we fake it. Um, what? No. Rude. Uh, but the, the, <laughs> the encounter with these people, um, right, so many of them have hungry hearts that we don't, we can go into our scripts, right? And that's where I think, you know, maybe sinner's prayer might fail us and other things. But we have to also see what is the narrative that they're working off of, right? Like, what what do they understand and misunderstand about what it means to be a Christian? I think that's, you know, starting with, um, well, wh- wh- why would you ask that? What, what things stood out, you know? And then you can be able to custom tailor, like, Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I make it a priority to pray the rosary every day and go to daily mass or, you know, on Sunday liturgy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that can draw them in if they see a correlation between your practice, the theology and what they see that's different about you. Then you can dive deeper specifically in those areas rather than being like all general fuzziness about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are great. Just general practical rules for all evangelization. But. Uh, you know, James, you're, you're in the, in the right place. You were, you were right there. And I totally get what you're saying that you were just kind of like thinking, uh, no, that's not enough. Right. The sinner's prayer is not enough because you, you, you had that bias. Right. And I understand that. I totally get it. And I've made that mistake before on many occasions. I still have the faces of people in my mind of like, oh, why did I not just take that next step? So I get what you're saying. Um, but I think you're in the right place and I think things are going to go. Yep. Hey, everyone, join us in one second. We're going to take a brief pause to hear these words from Ascension Press, the wonderful sponsor of this show. Uh, Also, when we come back, we're going to talk about the topic of spiritual multiplication. I think you're going to like it. Imagine this, you're walking down the street and a Christian at a table with a bunch of pamphlets asks you, have you been saved? What would you do? Would you know how to respond? Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford and I'm co-presenter along with Jeff Cavins in Ascension's new great adventure Bible study, Romans, the Gospel of Salvation. In this study, we teach you the biblical foundations for the Catholic teaching on salvation, how to explain salvation quickly and easily to non-Christians, what St. Paul really meant by works not leading to salvation, and how we can enter more deeply into Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans has been at the center of reflection, conversion, and controversy from the very beginning, and it's widely considered his greatest work. I invite you to start a small group in your home or parish and embark on this great adventure. Romans, the Gospel of Salvation to order. Visit ascensionpress.com. 
Now, Gomer, I'm pulling a wild card on you here. Oh, no. Oh, I want to no. ask your opinion on something because I feel like we okay. covered that pretty well. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, comprehensively. Okay. So the phrase spiritual multiplication has caused me some consternation lately. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. A phrase made popular by Focus and its Who? outreach. Who? Is it? Okay. Is that? Okay. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that. Okay. So. Um, yeah. I have had some conversations recently, okay, where it seems like spiritual multiplication is the end game. Does that okay? Do, have you had this this frustration where it seems like evangelization becomes a multi level marketing company that, <laughs> that you M- have L M right, right, <laughs> that you have a process mm-hmm. and you just continually do that process over and over again? Okay, here's here's my worry about it. Okay. okay. Uh, let me can you can you explain spiritual multiplication for the crowd? Well, I'll try, but you fi- okay, so you Okay, well, maybe it. I can. You convert two people. If you convert two people a year every year and those people convert two people and those people convert two people after like 13 years, you know, you'll have converted over a million people all some total. After 30 years, you'll have or maybe 27 years, you'll have converted the entire world, right? So it's this notion of you're just multiplying every year just two people, and those people convert two people, as opposed to, and the, and the famous example is juxtaposed with a super evangelizer who converts a million people every year but never teaches them how to evangelize right. others. Right. So it's like a static 1 million, 2 million, 3 million. You'll be surpassed in 13 years or whatever the number is, and then you know, you'll have converted 30 million people at the end of 30 years, whereas... If everyone embodies this notion of spiritual multiplication, they'll have converted the whole world. Okay, so everything you said, I love. Everything you just said, I love. That that I have no issue with that. Okay, my issue is when the process becomes so rote, it seems like it can become problematic. Okay, so for instance, if like you have a process that you take a person through, say it's a small group process. And it's like, okay, well, it's a year-long small group. And then at the end, boom, they have to start their own year-long small group. And then at the end, those people start their own year-long small group, right? This can become problematic, right? Because I I think we're leaving behind the soul of the apostolate a little bit here, right? Where uh, you you focus more on the process and less on the meeting the person, encountering the person face-to-face, seeing where they're at, and asking God to intervene, and hoping that God intervenes, right? Um, and I, I have no, I have no criticism of like. I think the focus model is great. I think it's all should continue. But I do think like that we can talk about it in a way, and even accomplish it in a way that is fleeting, right? Um, and and all almost Protestant in a way, in the sense that like, uh, like with the Billy Graham Crusades, like it would be like, okay, how many people gave their life to the Lord that day? Okay, that many people got saved that day, right? Like at the end of this process, this person will be a disciple and then they'll move on, right? It's just not that cut and dry. Have, I don't know. Have you encountered this at all? Like the way it's oh. talked about? Oh, oh, not just with spiritual multiplication, but I mean, like you can step back and look at it in terms of everything, right? Yeah. Like in terms yeah. of how do you do sacramental preparation? How do you prepare people for confirmation? Well, I put them on this conveyor belt that lasts one year, two year, four years, whatever. And then they go through. And if they have good enough attendance out, you know. The danger is always thinking that our processes are more pure and better than the power of the Holy Spirit. And always we have to keep open 
the dynamism that is inherent in the Holy Spirit, like God is free, right? Individuals that we are speaking to are free. They're complicated. They're nuanced. We are failures. We are bad witnesses sometimes, you know, where all this stuff, there are so many complicated things that go into something as magnificent as evangelization and actual conversion of heart. And so to sit there and trust a process to a mechanical point, I think denies the power of the cross because then it's about leading people through a very mechanical an assembly line version of faith, which actually has the the negative effect of pairing the clause of the Lion of Judah, right? Like right. here is Christ who is able, like may, it, it, it kind of prescripts your conversion story or what you've done and then tries to mass multiply what uh, what worked for you for everyone. Or you have the other problem of people going through a process finishing the process and thinking they are what they are not, which is a disciple of Christ. That, that is my worry there, right? That is my worry. Yeah. Uh, which is that, a worry that me and you talk about in terms of creating a discipleship track in the parish is just because you finish the classes doesn't mean you're a disciple who's given their entire lives over to uh, the Lord, you know? Right. Yeah. So I guess like it's more the rhetoric, you know, of it because I love the concept. But I think it can be talked about in a very, I don't know, multi-level marketing way, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and trust me, I mean, if like if there was a way that it could be, if there was a way that you know uh, one process could just guarantee you a disciple, I I would be behind it a hundred percent. But it's just not that way. It just doesn't work that way. I I just like it's it's another call for us to double down on holiness right mm -hmm. double down on holiness make sure that the kingdom of god is overflowing from your heart right rather yeah. than from putting your trust in a process i think yeah and speaking to that a process is not the same thing as a rule of life right no right, the, right? No. and and having a rule of life is about training yourself and disciplining yourself into the habits of interweaving life with spirituality with discipline like and building on those virtues that are that you share with Christ Jesus right right this is different than how i'm going to go outside of myself and bring people into the church into the life of faith into a discipleship with Christ and i'll tell you something that really that i really struggle with or i shouldn't say I really struggle with this so bishop robert baron recently did an episode on what is postmodernism and he had I, this I, listened re to it. I just listened yeah. to it. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal because you always hear the like negative condemnation side of postmodernism, but he did a really good job presenting the actual philosophical positive sides as well. But one of the things that he used was uh Tillich's understanding of dynamism and formalism. Formalism is like this is the structure, dynamism is there is no structure, it's a movement, it's change, it's evolution and all that stuff. And and, and sometimes revolution. And I think those two tensions are always important in the spiritual life. I'm right now doing this huge overhaul of youth ministry. And part of the things I've seen of Christians in general, Catholics in particular, who are falling away and deconstructing their discipleship, right? You've heard about all this stuff, like yes. Christian artists, you know, deconstructs it. But almost always, I, I really do get this sense that there was this script that they were following since they were young. And they never had their own spiritual life. They had someone else's that was superimposed. And if you want to be a good little boy or good little girl, right, you have to adopt this. 
But then what happens is they get in contact with the wider world and it doesn't fit them anymore. It's like wearing your parents' clothes when you're a little child, right? And then you go outside the home and no one thinks it's cute. You look like a crazy person. And so you begin to adjust and you compromise and you this and that. My problem, or Bishop Barron did a good job saying like, you have to keep the dynamism. And what I would say is you have to keep the the Holy Spirit, the wild goose himself, right? You have to let the winds of the spirit blow wherever they want, while at the same time not collapsing into vague, ambiguous spirituality, right? It works for me because then you can fall into subjectivity. So the truth and the power, right? The dynamism and the formalism need to cooperate. But it just saddens me when the most rigid people you meet come from a place that was originally meant to be a place of spiritual freedom. Like I have met like crazy rigid charismatics but when you think of charismatics you think like oh i got a tambourine i'm in the aisle of my church dancing right that's what i think i don't know if you do no i hang out with some don't some much older school charismatics who are still back in the 70s lifting high the banners of love but uh that's rude (laughs) it is rude it is it is rude next baby boomers no uh but the idea of of the it's so fascinating like charismatic communities that got shut down because engaging in like cult-like behaviors right we've talked about that right that the the rigidity that can set in where there's meant to be freedom that ruins our experience of the faith and i think like with spiritual multiplication you're dealing with the dynamism of interior lives and with the god who saves and all this stuff we want to structure it and we want to process because we want to be the ones in control yeah and we're not and yeah. it takes humility to own that yeah so i guess like you know i i would I would say that words and rhetoric matter. So if you're in a position of leadership and evangelization, that I, I would I would be careful with the way it's talked about, right? Because um, it's it's not it's not a guaranteed thing, right? Uh, this is a battle too, you know. There, yeah. it's, it's it's you know it, it it there's a back and forth to it and an ebb and flow, and again, um, you know, it's just uh, we want to make sure that it's not it's not a project you know it's not a multi-level marketing company i i literally heard someone talk about it and they kind of joked and they said so it's like a good version of a pyramid scheme it's like a holy pyramid scheme and you're like oh man that i would i would have a hard time hearing that and not saying something <laughs> um but you know i i anyways it's you know it's these things that like these are the kind of things that keep me up at night so i'm sure most of you've never worried about this but i love the concept right this idea that you know you t- you teach a man to fish right you teach a man to to live as a disciple and he'll create many more disciples um but again remember saint Teresa of avila you know uh, somebody asked her one time is it better to uh create I can't remember what they said to, to make help one man become a saint or to create or to have a thousand people become disciples. And she said, it's better to have one man become a saint because he'll create millions and millions of disciples. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that like, there's a tension there that we have to watch, you know, because that, that is true. We have to, we cannot focus on, okay, they're done with the process. They can go out on their own. No one's ever done with the process, you know. So, right. so, and so, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be schools. I'm not saying there shouldn't be small group models. I'm not saying there shouldn't be anything like that. What I'm saying is, make sure people understand, right? That you're never done with the process, right? We're never done. 
Yeah, that's awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's just do a quick summary. Uh, what do you do if you have someone on the line? Uh, do we, as Catholics, lead them in a sinner's prayer? What do we do? Uh, you know, number one, get them to pray, right? Get them to sit there and invite the Lord into that moment. You can pray with them. You can model prayer for them. You can pray over them. Uh, also, you can share the gospel, the charisma with them. You can do, you can ask them like this is, or you can tell them about what Jesus did and why Jesus did it. And from there, connect them to the church and baptism. Faith precedes baptism for adults. You can also, uh, don't be afraid to ask them inv- uh, uh, leading questions like, well, why are you here? Why, what about my life or about this situation makes you want to ask these questions and go deeper along those lines. Maybe you can speak the answers there and then do something that's the ultimate game changer, which is invite them to make a decision to give their lives for Christ. Takes discernment in doing that. You don't want to pull the trigger too early, but I think the Catholic problem is we don't pull the trigger at all. And so be a little courageous and bold there and do that. Awesome. God bless.